Hello and welcome to Talking Aussie Books, a new weekly podcast shining a spotlight on Australian fiction. My name is Claudine Tonellis. As a writer and avid reader, I love chatting about books. And in this podcast, I'll chat to authors, publishers and readers, giving you, dear listener, insight into what's hot on the Australian fiction scene. So if you're looking for your next book recommendation or just want to know more about Aussie fiction writers, this podcast is for you. Grab yourself a cuppa, sit back and enjoy. Rachel Givney is an international best-selling author and filmmaker who has a list of TV and film credits to her name. She has worked on critically acclaimed Australian TV shows like Offspring, McLeod's Daughters and All Saints. Her films have graced the screens of festivals like the Sydney Film Festival and Flickrfest, amongst many others. In 2020, Rachel added novel writing to her impressive list of achievements. Her first novel, Jane in Love, was a runaway success, a romantic comedy that fans will no doubt be delighted to learn has been optioned by Amazon Studios and Denovi Pictures for a film adaptation. This year, Rachel is back with a second novel, but this time Rachel takes us to Poland in the lead up to World War II in a truly captivating novel, which chronicles a young Polish woman's quest to learn the truth behind her mother's mysterious disappearance 15 years earlier. Listeners, this was a beautifully written novel that delivers a shocking twist that I absolutely did not see coming. Called The Secrets My Father Kept, this novel is a must read and I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to talk about it today with Rachel herself. Welcome, Rachel. Thanks, Claudine. Lovely to be here. Congratulations on the publication of this stunning novel. Thank you. So rich in its detail with complex, nuanced characters set against the simmering tensions of Europe on the cusp of war, where did you first conceive of the idea for this story? I visited Krakow uh, in my 20s and I, I love historical fiction and I'd read many World War II novels and they're, they're usually set in France or Germany, you know, Berlin, Munich or Paris and I stepped into Krakow, uh, this beautiful medieval city and it has this really bloody uh, complex history and beautiful people, Polish people are wonderfully hospitable and very kind and very generous. And I thought if ever I'm going to write a novel uh, set in World War II, I will set it in Krakow. Because you, you really read novels sort of set in, in Poland, yet Poland was such a, a huge theatre in World War II. So that's where uh, the germ of the, of the location began. Yeah, an absolutely fascinating story. So, Rachel, for those who haven't had the pleasure of reading your beautiful book, like I have. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about the story. Like you said in your wonderful intro, so it's about uh, this uh, young woman who is trying to find her missing mother who disappeared 15 years ago. And it's set in um, in Krakow in Poland in 1939. So total war is, is looming. Hitler is preparing to invade. There are tanks going up and down the border. And she's trying to find her missing mother. And standing in her way is her father who refuses to talk about what happened. And as this uh, total war is looming, she uncovers the truth about what happened and she must decide if she is going to reveal this, this secret that her father has kept for all these years for it's going to change her life and her father's life forever. 
Um, it's a it's a coming of age story, really, as well as finding her mother, this uh, this young woman, Marie. She sort of discovers how the world works as she uh, looks for her mother. She encounters racism and sexism, and she falls in love. And she uncovers the lengths that uh, people will go to to protect their family. As well as finding her mother, she wants to become a doctor uh, like her father. Her father is this brilliant doctor in town. When we first meet him, he saves the life of a young boy by giving him um, a, a rudimentary version of penicillin that he has antibiotics that he has created himself in sort of his, his backyard lab kind of thing and so he's this brilliant doctor and uh, Marie the young woman she wants to follow in his footsteps but she encounters this tremendous opposition uh, from him and from society towards following this this dream so alongside finding out uh, what happened to her mother she's also discovering how the world works and she's discovering that the world can be quite a hostile place for women who want to pursue a career or or women with ambition. Yeah, just fascinating. There's so much of this story that speaks about the injustices women faced by virtue simply of being women, you know, their inability to pursue careers deemed only suitable to men and also what women were forced to do to swim against that overwhelming tide of ignorance and societal expectations. So I wanted to ask you, is this something that you consciously wanted to explore and why? Absolutely. So that's the um, – that was – what I had in mind uh, when I was writing it all along. I World War II is this um, really interesting time for women. It's the first time in which women en masse were required to enter the workforce. Women, we, we needed women to work in the factories, to, you know, do the maths, to solve the codes in the Enigma machines. We needed women to work in the shops because all the men were at the front. And so women enter the workforce for the first time and they realise the dignity that comes from earning a wage. And once once we had a taste for it, we never went back. And World War II is really the place where the great feminist movements of the 20th century had their origins. So I, I think it's a fascinating time for uh, women at the same time entering these factories and entering these work entering the workforce sort of out of necessity for society at the same time there was such double standards for uh, women pursuing a career in the novel Marie uh, wants to enter university to study medicine and she encounters uh, opposition. Her father tells her and uh, the man that she's, you know, trying to, the, the admissions officer at the university, they both tell her this simply isn't going to happen because uh, we're not going to waste a place on a person. We're not going to train up a person who's just going to leave the profession in a few years to start a family and that that's not that's not an old sadly that's not an old fashioned thing of the past either there was an article which came out uh, a couple of years ago a scandal in uh, Japanese 
universities uh, which were denying uh, female students um, places in their medicine courses, uh, doctoring the results essentially of their exams because they didn't, so denying women these places because they didn't want to waste places on people who they thought uh, were just going to leave uh, being a doctor in a couple of years to start a family. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's still the, the party line is still today that uh, child rearing is essentially the, the woman's job and, and at least the burden falls mostly upon the woman. That's, that's how we still sort of think. And so it can, be, it can be difficult if you want to be a woman and you have ambition and you, you want to have a family as well. Does, does your career always have to suffer? Who knows? Hopefully not. But it does seem that, that that's still an attitude that we sort of have today and that's something that I, that I really wanted to show. Okay, so tell me about your decision to name Marie Marie. I mean, it's no coincidence, is it? No. So uh, Maria is a very common name in uh, Poland. It's um, it's the Polish form of Mary, and Poland is um, is a very was a very Catholic country at the time. It's still a very Catholic country. But uh, Marie's mother, the the woman that Marie is looking for when she gives birth to Marie, she calls her Marie after Marie Curie. The, who a lot of people think is French. She, she was actually Polish, the Nobel Prize winning scientist. She won the Nobel Prize twice, uh, once for chemistry and once for physics. And Marie's mother uh, is a great admirer of uh, Marie Curie and so names her daughter after Marie Curie. And that's something that Marie discovers as she's looking for her mother. She realises that her mother also loved science and medicine and chemistry and Marie begins to understand that um, she has inherited her mother's her mother's talents and her mother's skills as well, um, which also sort of makes her realise that, you know, women can do these things as well. There's no reason why why a woman can't uh, pursue a career in, in science or medicine or STEM and also badly done to society for denying women places in maths or, or engineering or chemistry or medicine uh, because what, what talent are we denying there, what um, you know, what discoveries are we forsaking there by why, why, why wasting these brains? <laughs> so, naming Marie after Marie Curie was a bit of a self fulfilling prophecy in a way. Yes, but Marie herself is blessed with a brilliant mind and a desire to become a doctor like her father. But more than that, she's a woman who won't be deterred from her goals. She knows what she wants and pursues her goals with a passion and a single mindedness, which is frankly quite astonishing for a person of her age. But this also operates to her detriment doesn't it yes absolutely she well so she has this brilliant mind um and in she's also a teenager she's 17 when the book starts and so she's very she's a little bit reckless in a wonderful way she she's got a, a pig-headedness and a stubbornness that will get her into trouble but it will but it also makes her very brave 
and coupled with the fact that uh, her father, who is sort of obsessed with, he doesn't want her to do medicine. He wants her to just get married because he knows that war is coming and he's, and he's you know, harbouring this secret about what happened to her mother and he knows that if the secret comes out, uh, Marie's going to be thrown into the path of, of danger, really, when, when war comes. He's not going to be able to protect her anymore. And so he wants her to be married so that, you know, her, her husband's family will be able to protect her and he wants her to marry the, the wealthiest and the most Catholic person possible that he can find so that she will be safe. And he has very good reasons for doing this, but unfortunately Marie uh, falls in love with a Jewish man, a, a beautiful man, and with her recklessness and her and her headstrongness, she uh, converts to Judaism to to be with him. Little does she know what's coming. But that's the I loved writing Marie because um, she she does like you said she has this this brilliant mind. Now, as mentioned, the novel was filled with layers of detail about life in Poland for a privileged child like Marie. Yes, but also about the kinds of simmering tensions that existed not only in Poland but throughout Europe at the time. So, I wanted to ask you, Rachel, what research did you do to bring this story to the page? I travelled throughout Poland multiple times uh, to research this novel. I, I mentioned earlier I went there in my 20s for the first time, fell in love with the beautiful city. And then when I was actually writing the book, I went back a few times. This is before lockdown, sigh. Uh, and I visited uh, Krakow, where the novel is set, also uh, Warsaw, uh, Lvov, uh, where some of the other parts of the novel are set. That's in the present-day Ukraine, um, some former Prussian towns where one of the other characters, uh, Johnny, and one of the other doctors is from Auschwitz concentration camp, uh, Zakopane, which is this beautiful mountain resort town on the border of uh, Poland and Slovakia. So, so I went to all these places. I vid- visited lots of um, apothecaries, Jewish quarters, uh, town halls, uh, all the places that are featured in the novel. I also visited the Jewish Holocaust Centre in Elstonwick, which is in Melbourne, which is a fabulous museum about the Holocaust, with just beautiful, uh, heartbreaking stories uh, there. I also studied Polish <laughs> for a couple oh, wow. of years, <laughs> yeah. uh, which was absolutely wonderful. I said before that in Polish culture they have a, a wonderful tradition of uh, showing kindness to strangers and um, showing hospitality to strangers. I really felt that uh, my Polish teacher, Dzień uh, dobry, Zbyszek, if you're listening, he read the novel a couple of times, gave me excellent feedback on um, uh, Polish culture and um, what it would have been like in 1939 in Poland. That was wonderful. And I made some dumplings, a pierogi. Uh, I made some um, smoked cheese, uh, which is very popular in Poland. Uh, I had a wonderful time researching this novel, yes. Rachel, as I mentioned earlier before we started recording, I'm a little bit embarrassed to confess that I've yet to read Jane in Love and side note to self, I can't wait to get my hands on it. But But I wondered, um, well, it made me ponder the fact that this book couldn't have been more different in tone and style to Jane in Love. So I wanted to ask you, was this a conscious departure? 
Well, it's, it's a great question. So for me, I I see them as very similar, and I think I think it um, comes down to the way that they're um, sort of packaged up. But you, you're right; there there is a difference in tone in them. So Jane in Love is about uh, Jane Austen uh, having to choose between her books. And love. When I first read a Jane Austen novel, I read Emma when I was 15 and I fell in love with the beautiful story, the beautiful love story and the timeless comedy. I thought this is such a clever woman. And I grew interested in her biography. I looked it up and I was saddened to discover that Jane Austen never married or had any children. You know, the writer of six of the most famous novels about love herself died a spinster. And I, I was considering a career as a writer myself at the time and I grew interested in the biographies of other uh, female writers who I admired, you know, uh, Louisa May Alcott who wrote Little Women, uh, Emily Dickinson, the poet, uh, the Bronte sisters, even sort of Sylvia Plath, uh, Virginia Woolf. All of these women either had disastrous romantic lives or none at all. And I began to wonder, does uh, an artist, a a writer, uh, a female writer, need to be unhappy or single in order to create art? And if Jane Austen had to choose between the heart and the pen, what would she choose? And that's how Jane in Love was born. And uh, once I'd written Jane in Love and I was, and I was editing it, I, I began to wonder this, this idea of the choices, the obstacles and the struggles that women face when um, navigating uh, relationships, family and a career, those struggles. I wondered what other uh, settings, what other locations, what other times in history could I explore this idea? And that's where Secrets My Father Kept came from because um, I saw World War II, as I said before, as being this other really sort of pivotal time for women and the choices and the struggles that they face when navigating those those two great things, the relationships and career. Now, as I foreshadowed in my introduction, uh, Jane in Love is now going to be made into a film and I understand that you're going to be involved in that. So my day job is I write uh, screenplays. I work in Aussie TV mainly. Um, I've done a bit of film and some short films and stuff as well. I'm a screenwriter in my day job. So when Amazon said, oh, look, we're, we're interested in turning this into a film, you know, uh, will you write the screenplay? And I said, well, yes, I'd love to. So I'm writing the screenplay for it. And it's been produced by uh, Denovi Pictures, a brilliant production company. They recently made Little Women, Brett Gerwig's Little Women. They also made The Other Little Women, which was directed by an Australian woman, I think it was Gillian Armstrong, and, you know, the one that had Winona Ryder in it. They're a great production company. So they're producing it and I'm writing the screenplay. And a, and a brilliant Australian woman, uh, Alyssa Down, is, is directing it. Yeah. So how far down the road is that project? So we're at... 
uh, we're at script stage at the moment. So I've written a sort of a first draft of the screenplay. I've given it to the director. She's sort of given me her notes and we've workshopped it. And now it's with the producers, that's Tenovi Pictures. So then they need to, they're going to read it and then we'll do like a little workshop on it with their notes. And then once they're happy with it, we send it off to Amazon who are the money, and they'll sort of do their notes. And once once they're happy with it and that they think it's in a good shape, then we'll send it out to actresses. We'll see if we can cast Jane, if we can get an actress to play Jane Austen. Once an actress is attached, um, then hopefully we'll go into production. So who would you like to see cast in the role of Jane? Well, uh, I wonder, Claudine, what's your – do you have any suggestions yourself? Oh, that's a really good question, Rachel. I guess – for me, I would really like to see an Australian actress cast in that role. No, well, um, that's it's not a bad suggestion. I mean, there's, um, you know, Margot Robbie uh, could oh, be very good. Yeah. She's done she's done it in an English accent a couple of times and was very good. Um, so yeah, there's um, there's there's a uh, yeah there's a few um, Australian actresses who would be who would be great when we uh, were chatting with Amazon, we sort of gave them, we gave them two or three names who we sort of suggested. We said, um, these women are the sort of people we'd have in mind to play Jane. We suggested Saoirse Ronan, who is an Irish actress. She was actually Joe in in the recent version of Little Women. Yeah, yeah. She, she'd be wonderful. We also suggested Brie Larson. She's American actress. She was Captain Marvel. Um, she won an Oscar for Room. She'd be brilliant as well. A couple of actresses like that we sort of suggested. So we're thinking somebody who's quite mature, who can obviously do an English accent, but who also has some um, great comic timing because Jane Austen was very witty. Fantastic. So, Rachel, given your experiences in the film and TV industry and now with these two novels under your belt, I wondered if you had any tips to offer aspiring writers out there who listen to this podcast. Yes, I have one tip. Don't get it right, get it written. I think that's really the only thing that you that you need to know uh, if you're going to write anything. It's so much easier to sit down and uh, edit something that you've already written rather than to stare at a blank page and try to write something perfectly first time. I think just sit down and write. Do not worry if it's rubbish because I guarantee once you've written it down and then, you know, print it out or read it back on your screen, I guarantee you it won't be as bad as you think and at least then you've got something that you can work with and, you know, a book or a screenplay, anything, it, it comes alive in the edit anyway. So you may as well just write down whatever you've got in your head at the moment and don't get it right, get it written. If you want to be a filmmaker, I would say the same thing as well. Just go out and shoot stuff. Shoot it, edit it, watch it back and see what you've got there. It's much easier to do that than to sort of spend months planning thinking that I've got to I've got to shoot this I've got to shoot this short film and it's and it's got to be perfect. Don't worry about that because because things always Things always emerge in the edit. So true. That is such wonderful advice, Rachel. Thanks so much for that. No, my pleasure. So, Rachel, are you working on something else at the moment or are you focusing on your screenplay? Screenplay is – the Jane in Love screenplay is taking up 
um, most of the time at the moment. Once that's done, I will um, start thinking about book three, yeah. If listeners wanted to find out more about you and your books, where could they do that? My website, rachelgivney.com. I'm on Instagram and Facebook as well. Uh, just Rachel Givney is my, my handle. Uh, yeah. Rachel, Secrets My Father Kept was a riveting, insightful read that I can't recommend highly enough. Thank you for a beautiful read and for chatting with me on Talking Aussie Books. My pleasure. Thanks, Claudine. Well, that's a wrap, folks. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or drop me a line via my Instagram at Claudine Tinellis or on my webpage, claudinetinellis.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, happy reading.